0: all right welcome back to the the knox college career center podcast you're hired i'm adam i'm matthew uh, i'm Aryan. and we're here today with
1: my name's harry mather so i graduated from knox college in 2003 which is scary to think was almost 18 years ago now um So I was, when I was at Knox, I was in the pre-med curriculum and uh, I was an economic major, uh, economics major rather. And uh, I am a, uh, I'm the managing director of the Northwestern Mutual Office in uh, greater Chicago in the Western suburbs, as well as a co-managing director of the office in Chicago. And so uh, in addition to that, I'm also a wealth management advisor.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. So just... Just, uh, I mean, since this is something that I'm interested in as well, you know, I just want to know, like you said you were
1: a part of like the pre-med curriculum mm-hmm. at Knox. Yeah. So what kind of drew you to more like the financial side of things, like especially wealth management? Yeah. So um, a couple of things. I think that the, um, the things I loved about medicine were a consultative process. You know, it followed a pattern. You know, you do a history and a physical you would order potentially diagnostics, you'd diagnose, prescribe, and you'd see someone get well and stay well, hopefully, and you'd be able to monitor that progress. And I think that this follows a very similar pattern if executed properly, where you know a history and a physical is really sitting down with someone, listening to their goals, dreams, aspirations, where they are, where they want to be, the things they're currently doing. And then we utilize analytics to say, okay, well, here's where you are, here's where you said you wanted to be, these are the things you're doing, ultimately, are you on track to accomplish those things? And if not, then we look at budget as a feasibility of being able to align actions and intentions. Most people, you know, can't start 100% of the way on track to accomplish all of the things that are important to them, so we encourage them to begin in a place that's meaningful and comfortable to them. And then we get together every year and update their plan. Life's a movie reel, not a snapshot, right? And so things change in their world. And so we wanna make sure we update their plans accordingly. And we eventually challenged collaboratively to progress towards 100% of the way on track to accomplish those things. And so uh, it's fun to be able to kind of grow with people. You know, uh, a fun part of our firm, our firm loves data. The average client of ours does about seven to twelve pieces of business with us, and they're with us about forty-one years. So not a transactional relationship, but a long-term, enduring relationship built on trust. And uh, and it's obviously a lot of emotional rewards, financial rewards, and independence. You know that comes with the career, um, but it's a challenging career too. And so kind of think of the analogy of blooms of a rose and thorns on the stem. You know, definitely both are present.
0: Um. About about the like building trust with your your clients kind of thing, um, how do you how do you go about that? Like how do you establish trust, especially with something like so serious and like personal as finance?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So I think at the beginning of the relationship, making sure that you define it clearly. Um, so before I would even endeavor into kind of beginning the planning experience, I think it's good to articulate what their expectations should be of you. Uh, and what your expectations of them will be. Um, I think that just then following through on the things that you say you will, I think are a big part of that. Um, I would just say, um, you know, gosh, it's, it's simple things, you know, it's like, you know, letting people know, obviously, that, you know, communication patterns. So if I say, you know as part of our quote-unquote rules of engagement you should expect your financial planner to always get back to you within 24 hours so if you reach out to me you know someone Mira, um, someone on my team will get back to you within 24 hours and actually doing that you know is a big part of that um you know similarly we'll say hey you know i promise if someone on my team is reaching out to you it's not to waste your time it's probably because we need some additional piece of information and so accordingly you know please try to get back to our team within 24 hours and so You know, things like confidentiality, we want to talk about those things in advance. You know, hey, the same relationship you have with your attorney or physician you have with us, anything you share with us today, anything I share with you, we just have the expectation that it will not leave these four walls. If we have a social relationship, Adam, know that if we're at a cocktail party, I'm not going to bring up your planning situation. We'll sit down twice a year and talk about, you know, your plan. Um, if we're ever at a cocktail party, you don't have to be concerned or a family function. You don't have to be concerned that I'm going to bring up your personal financial situation. Um, if you ever have questions outside of those couple of meetings a year that we have that for business purposes, you're always welcome to initiate, but just know I won't initiate except for those multiple times a year that we get together on a business basis. Things like that, I think are really helpful. Um, you know, someone told me once, you know, the fastest way for a relationship to deteriorate is through a lack of communication or unmet expectations. And so just being able to share that with someone at the beginning of the engagement so that, you know, we get that out there, um, I think is important. So I would just say right at the beginning of the relationship, just communicate all of those things and then ultimately determine whether or not it makes sense for both of you to engage.
0: Yeah, I think that's really useful because like, I don't know, especially with finance, um, a lot of people are coming into it with, like, not really sure what they want. And so, setting, like, defined expectations and, like, sticking to them makes a lot of sense. Well said. Okay, so, like, when, how did you find
1: yourself coming to Northwestern Mutual, like, specifically? Since I'm sure, like, right out of Knox, there's so many options, especially when you look at Chicago, you know, like, to just get into a different field of it sure um i think that the the biggest draw to me was um i went to a lot of people and got advice people that i respected and i said you know i'm a young person you know i'm finishing school i want to make sure that i get as many perspectives as possible on you know just what advice do you have for a young person who's you know thinking about a sort of a, a Change in career path. And, um, and one gentleman I spoke to in particular shared with me, he said, Well, if you like medicine, kind of the, for the same reasons I articulated earlier about how it you know, kind of mirrors the process of a consultative process to kind of help someone get well, stay well. Um, what he shared with me was, you know, there's a lot of institutions that are financial institutions that, you know, will call themselves planners but he said what's interesting is he said i think the world is changing where people don't have time to meet with the insurance woman the investment guy the accountant the attorney they want really one person that sits in the center of their financial lives where 90% of the things you know they do themselves the other 10% they'll oversee uh, a strategic relationship and make sure that something's done if executed properly plans have a higher degree of synergy a higher likelihood of delivering the desired outcome for the client in that circumstance And so he he gave me a couple of ideas to investigate in terms of firms that really, you know, look at holistic financial planning. And so I think that, you know, one thing that I would share with you, though, is people will ask me all the time about, you know, um, you know, competitive advantages in the marketplace or, you know, which firm is better, this or that. And I, I just always would tell people You know, there's 7,000 Northwestern advisors and there's a couple hundred million people in the United States alone. And so if you truly care about financial security in your community, micro and macro, you don't just root for one firm, you root for a lot of firms to do really well in that space because there's no way one firm could take care of everybody. And so I truly believe that to this day. Um, I really do root for those institutions because like I said, With only 7,000 of us and a couple hundred million people, there's no way we could take care of everybody. And the reality is, whether you're ranked first in the industry, last in the industry, or anywhere in between, reality is people don't select firms to work with based on rankings and things like that. They, They do it based on relationship. People want to be introduced. They want to have a relationship. You know, I always use the analogy. I have car insurance through Nationwide. I couldn't tell you if Nationwide is the best or the worst, the most expensive or the least expensive. The reality is, I was referred to a person many years ago. He's taken wonderful care of me, and whenever I've needed something, it's been executed upon. And so I've never really thought much about quote unquote shopping uh, for replacing or or you know changing because it seems reasonably priced and the relationship is there and uh, and that's it. And so as much as we want to think that people choose based on information in this industry, I think specifically a lot of it has to do with people want to be introduced to their advisor. Overwhelmingly, they don't want to find them in a phone book. Uh, They don't want to find them, you know, perhaps on the internet, they want to be introduced um, through referral and and have a relationship.
0: So it's, um, I'm hearing you talk about all of these things. I'm, I'm realizing that you have a a large amount of experience and and it's really it's really good experience and and through all of that is there anything that stands out as extremely important that's maybe more important or should we held at a higher standard than than the other things that you're telling us um yeah I think that you know a couple things
1: um I think that as you know, college students, and you think about endeavoring into your careers, I think that there's three pieces of advice I give to everybody that I meet when I'm interviewing potential new advisors. The first is, whatever selection process that you're engaging in, just trust the process to produce the proper outcome for you. If it's a good process, by the end of it, you'll have clarity on, is it the right time and is it the right opportunity? The second thing is I always encourage people to just be themselves when they're engaging in selection processes because I think today it's less about trying to impress someone and more about alignment. A good process will allow you to be able to explore the career inside looking out as well as outside looking in. Um, So you really get a chance to feel like you're sitting on the same side of the table as the person that's interviewing you and helping you through an explorative process. And then the third is just being uh, engaging with an open mind to learning. Because I think that sometimes, whether you know a little or sometimes whether you know a lot or anything in between, we all have preconceived notions and we all tend to be well-researched and we use the internet. And I always try to tell people, you know, just go in with an open mind to learning because every institution has its own culture, has its own flavor, if you will. Um, So I would say that's something above all else when you're thinking about engaging in the selection processes as you think about a career. Great advice I got from my dad uh, when I was sitting in you guys' shoes was, he said, any firm or opportunity that you explore, go find someone that's done it for 50 years inside of that organization, and 40 years, and 30 years, and ask them, are you happy? And if they can tell you, yes, I am, and you, you see it, right, through their behavior and what manifests in front of you, then that's probably a good culture to be a part of and ask them then question number two is what do I need to do to be like you 50 years from now? And I thought that was, you know, impressive. When I was looking at Northwestern, I remember meeting a gentleman that had been here 50 years and I asked him a question. I said, you know, I'm fairly versed in the industry to know that if you've been doing this for 50 years, you're probably financially secure. How come you just don't retire? And he said, why would I isolate myself from 50 years of relationships that I've cultivated and seen people, you know, uh, help them, you know, achieve the things that are most important to them. That wouldn't make any sense. And I was blown away by that. And then I, you know, most successful guy in the firm, I remember, you know, hearing about him and they're like, Oh yeah, you know, he's amazing. And they're like, Oh yeah. And he has four kids and he coaches all those kids sports teams. And he built a hospital in Honduras and. I'm like, well, wait, so how could he be the most successful and coach all his kids sports teams? Doesn't he have to work 60, 70 hours a week? And the short answer was, well, no, you know, you build your business however you build your business. You choose to prioritize how you choose to prioritize your life. And that was intriguing to me because I grew up in an environment where my dad was an immigrant and he came to the United States in his twenties and he was a surgeon. And So he missed some things that he didn't want to miss. But, you know, when you come to a new place and have to work hard, you know, and not to say you don't have to work hard in anything, it's just in that line of work, it wasn't an option to, you know, be able to say, oh, I'm going to go leave at three o'clock today because I'm going to go coach my kids, you know, baseball. So, you know, we learned from that. And we, you know, when I was kind of learning about different opportunities, I had to think about what I valued. And so I did value uh, three things. And this is, I think, three things that would be valuable for anybody to think about. I read a book once that said there's three things that provide people fulfillment in their careers, and here they are. Number one, having a clear and transparent relationship with their leadership and knowing how success is measured. Successful people want to have a great relationship with their leadership, and they want to know what success looks like and how they're measured. The second is they want to feel like they're a part of something that's bigger than just them you know, they, they truly want to feel like they're a part of something bigger than just them. And the third thing was money. And there's no shame in being able to say that I want to be fairly compensated based on my effort. So I really thought about that a lot. And so, you know, those three things, when I, when I really kind of cross compared, you know, with the opportunity, I was like, wow. So I see heroes at every step of the way in terms of longevity in the career, and they seem happy. And i see that you know i i i'm i'm the, the gentleman i'm sitting across the table is telling me you know transparently how i'm measured and what success looks like uh in my best interests and i feel like i wanted to be a part of that you know something bigger than just me and they showed me an avenue to say if i worked hard you know i'd be fairly compensated based on my effort and that was appealing to me um so hopefully that gives you a couple of things ideas as you think about, you know, kind of career paths and, and ideas as far as what um, fulfillment may look like to you. Um, I think that, you know, it doesn't have to be universally applicable, but it was applicable for me.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, have you have you managed to stay, like, happy and content through your career? And has have you, like, shifted focuses at all?
1: Yeah, I appreciate the question. I think that the... Um, seasons of life is I guess the best way I would answer that. And what I mean by that is, is that in the beginning of my career, I have to be uh, perfectly honest with you, I was probably a bit shallower. And I thought, wow, this is a cool career, because I can earn enough money to be able to buy a nice suit or have a nice car or live in a you know place that I wanted to live. And i I fundamentally didn't understand because of probably age and maturity, the impact, the positive impact that the work had. And then about three years into my career, uh, someone that I, I took care of as a client experienced something catastrophic. And because of the work that we did together, it really protected their family. Uh, kids were able to go to college, you know, retirement was able to be secure. And, and so I say that only because you'll learn far more from you know, your failures in life than your successes. I think that what I realized was my success in my career wasn't about earning a bunch of money or, or being able to, to buy things. It was about giving every single person I encountered the best chance their family would ever have of achieving financial security. Ultimately, whether or not they took advantage of it was entirely up to them. But I could put my head on my pillow at night knowing I gave everybody, in my opinion, the best chance they'd ever have of achieving financial security. And so that became the uh, sort of the mantra in my head is every meeting I walked into from that point forward, I just said, I'm just here to help. And, And I truly adopted that mindset. I would define success today, Adam, as very simple. I have not encountered anybody in 17 years who I would ever trade places with that I was referred to and took through the process. And I would define it as three things: emotional fulfillment, financial fulfillment, and independence. I've met people who might have more emotional fulfillment. Let's say that are in non-for-profit sector, taking care of you know kids in an inner city. That's next level, you know. And uh, and God bless those people for doing it. Financial fulfillment, I've met people that maybe made more money than me. Um, maybe they were, you know, Wall Street traders or, you know, something like that. And maybe I've met people that had more independence, you know, um, maybe because they, you know, who knows, they were just independently wealthy, inherited a bunch of money, and quite frankly, don't need to work. Um, but when I think about the the combination of those three things, I've never met anybody that has the combination of those three things to the scale that I do. and. I think about that all the time. I have a two-year-old daughter. I've never missed anything, you know, that was important. I made it to my wife's doctor's appointments when she was pregnant, um, you know, because I own a business and I could choose to prioritize that, right? And so, I think that the you know success can be predicated a lot of different ways at different times of your career. I'm sure that the way I define success maybe Adam ten years from now might be different, but um, I love being able to reinvent that and having the Uh, ability to
0: yeah it definitely seems like a, a learning process and like i don't know i know like as college students we're who haven't like had a lot of experience in the workforce yet like it'll be great to kind of explore how we grow too i don't know i'm excited for that
1: you're at a great stage of your lives embrace the uncertainty while you were at at northwestern mutual what were was there like a range of duties that you had or did you stick to essentially like your one job description? And yes. if you did have a range, what was your preference? So um, when you start out as a practitioner, you're building your business. Just like if you were in private practice in medicine, law, accounting Um By having success in building your practice, you also have the ability to join a program called LEAD, which is an acronym for Leadership Through Education, Achievement, and Development. And then that allows you to be able to learn about all the different leadership roles in the firm. Some people admittedly just want to be leaders by example. You know, they give of their time, but really, you know, they're practitioners because they want to be practitioners. And then some people choose to want to give their time and have a more formal uh, leadership role in the firm. For me, first role I had in leadership I was a college unit director so I ran the internship program and uh, enjoyed that a lot working with college students help them make a determination on whether or not this might be the right career for them and then um, the next role I, I took on was um, in addition to practicing was uh, working with people with less than five years of experience and mentoring them in the firm um, and then uh, in 2009 I became a managing director um, and so managing directors, uh, own and oversee their operations essentially. Uh, and so there's about 40 advisors in our office here in Lombard and about, uh, 15 ish in the, uh, in the city, uh, the city office we opened in October of 2017. So kind of a, a expansion. And so I, I share that with you to, to share that you're ever evolving based on how you want to evolve. Um, I can choose to be a managing partner if I want to be a managing partner and oversee multiple offices. I could choose to be a managing director for the rest of my career. I could choose to do none of the above and just be a practitioner. And I use the analogy: it's kind of like reading those books as a kid, those choose-your-own-adventure books, where you get to choose, you know, the different out uh, the different outcomes to the book. Um, you know. You think you might have an idea of where you want to go, but so much of it is serendipitous based on, you know, the season of life, you know, and uh, what motivates you and inspires you in the moment. And I think that's what keeps it exciting. Um, I think, you know, when you're when you're in college, it can be stressful to try and figure out what um, career path to go on. And it's hard to embrace uncertainty as you get further along. You learn how to um, embrace the fact that you can only control what you can control. And uh, you become more of a person that celebrates and enjoys the journey versus always being so focused on the outcome, if that makes sense. So, you know, I guess, you know, I'm 39 years old and I still don't know what I wanna do, you know, uh, in terms of what direction I wanna go. And I love that, it's a cool feeling. But I know that if I kept doing what I was doing right now for the next, you know, however long I chose to, I'd, it would be because I chose it and enjoy it and not because I felt in any way, shape or form induced or stuck. And uh, I think, you know, having the freedom and the volition to choose is empowering and exciting. And you learn, like I said, to embrace the, uh, the uncertainty.
0: Any last words like for the Knox students?
1: No, I would just say, um, I'm proud of you guys you know, endeavoring into you know uh, college during a, a pandemic is is obviously challenging, and so you know whether you're starting college, ending college, or, or anything in between, um, you know it's a unique experience. But uh, you know, trial and learn, and you know, just I have a lot of respect for the experience that you're having, knowing it wasn't the traditional experience. Uh, so. In some ways, uh, my heart goes out to you. And in other ways, you know, um, um, this has taught you something that is invaluable uh, in terms of perseverance and, and learning how to adjust. And so uh, I just wish, you know, wish you guys well. And let me know if I can ever help you guys as you kind of endeavor into your careers or, or want to talk
0: more. Yeah, thank you so much.